This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein. And I'm Cheryl Fulman. And we are all about the social impact of business and uh, social finance. So I'm delighted to uh, welcome our next guest to the program. Jerry Dodson is the founder and chairman at Parnassus Investments. Parnassus is a a leading uh, ESG investing firm and really early early investor in this space, um, kind of a, an early investor and leader in this space. So I'm excited to speak with Jerry. Jerry, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I'm glad uh, that you had me here. It is great to have you with us. So for, um, as I said, you you know, you are, you are early to this, to this initiative, to this focus on ESG and sustainable investing. You founded Parnassus Investments in uh, 1984, at a time when people thought, you know, you can't really make money this way if you are screening out, you know, if you're, if you're trying to screen in the do-good companies and screen out the, you know, the, the less-than-do-good companies, um, there was a certain cynicism and skepticism that this could work. Um, so let's, let's start with, uh, you know, the, at the highest level, brag a little bit. Does it work? <laughs> well, yes, it has. Um, we are within our category. Uh, it's determined by Lipper Analytical Services. We are the number one in our area. We've um, and and what is your category? How do you define the uh, category? How do the they define the category? Is the um, we're considered um, well. The, there's two things they use to look at your category. One is your investment style. Are you value or your growth? Mm-hmm. If your growth. Uh, and we're sort of in the middle area, so we're called like the combination area. So we regard ourselves as value-oriented, but the way they analyze us, they say, hey, you're uh, both here in the middle area. Then the other one they look at is the kind of um, strategy you use, not just uh, with value and growth, but also are you large cap, are you mid cap, you right. multi cap. And, and we're large cap, primarily large cap uh, a mutual fund. So I, I interrupted your bragging. So let me let you invite you to go back and brag a little okay. bit about it. Uh, all right. Uh, well, again, we've uh, beaten the S and P 500 uh, consistently over the last 13 years since the Parnassus Endeavor Fund was founded, and we beat you know by a factor of uh, you know two three percent a year. The average mutual fund, uh, actually 75 percent of the mutual funds, do not beat the S and P 500. So we really have shown that uh, it makes sense to invest this way and with our good performance. So uh, that's that's how I would brag. That is, that is great. Uh, um, so let's go back in time first. Um, it's 1984. What makes you think this is a good idea? Right, exactly. I mean, it's this is, uh, you know, it's... It's still new today, you know. <laughs> you're, you're, this approach is still, um, I mean, gaining acceptance, but it would still make a, um, a fund, you know, a bit of a maverick, a bit of, a, of an outlier. Um, 1984 was really early. What made you think this was a good idea? At the time, I wasn't sure how the returns would be since it was experimental, it was a new fund. Uh, so it really... The idea came from my personal values. 
So the two things that I think were really determinate, number one, of course, was if a company treats its employees well, if it's a good corporate citizen, it should be a good investment. And again, I didn't have proof at the time, but that was my thought. The second one came from um, uh, Benjamin Graham and his disciple Warren Buffett, who's now very famous, and they used what I call bargain hunting, or the value method of investing. And what they do is they look for companies that were trading below their intrinsic value. So in those situations, the company, something would have happened to force the stock price down. And if you're able to calculate what the intrinsic value of a company is, and you buy it if it's you know, 10, 20, sometimes even 30% below its intrinsic value, uh, it should be a good in- investment. And of course, I wasn't sure it would work for me, but these are the two things that we started out. And as it turns out, it's been very, uh, very successful. And some say, well, why have you had such a good return? Well, part of it is the value orientation. You try to buy stocks at a discount. And the second thing that you look at is if a company treats its employees well, it should do well as a business. You might say, well, why is that? I mean, shouldn't you try to pay your employees the least possible and work them the hardest? <laughs> right. Isn't that the way <laughs> to you know, run a business? As it turns out, it's really not. Um, the reason is, is that if you're able to be a good place to work and you treat your employees well, there's a huge number of advantages. First of all, they'll be more productive, so you don't need to hire as many employees. Secondly, is that they're going to work harder. Uh, they're going to work harder because it's a good place to work. And third is you won't have as much turnover. They'll stay with you. Now, why is that important? Well, if you have high turnover, of course, you always have more people coming in. You're training them. They're leaving. It can be very disruptive. But if you have a stable workforce, they're happy working there, it's going to be do much better. So in my opinion, those are really the key determinants why we've been able to uh, beat the market. And Jerry, that, that argument and your explanation for why there's a, a business case for treating your employees well makes all sorts of sense. You know, it just sounds so plausible. We've all been in places, I think, where there's been high turnover and, and places where low turnover, and it's better to work a place where there's low turnover. Why, why, isn't, this, why isn't every business committed to this? That's a good question. Uh, I'm really not sure. I think it's based on that old-fashioned idea I talked about. They say, well, you know, we don't want to pay too much. We really want to uh, you know, pay as little as we can, and that way the profits will be higher. And then if we work our employees higher, you know, it doesn't matter if they leave, then we'll uh, hire somebody else. And it really is an old-fashioned way of thinking but there's still a lot of companies that, um, that think that way. It, it's, it is real. I had exactly the same question, Cheryl. And I will say that as a, uh, you know, as an organizational psychologist, you know, this is you're singing my song. This just makes total sense. And it is, you know, it, just as I reflect on my career and you know, teaching in a business school, it's sort of shocking that this is still news. And, <laughs> right. And and it is. Yeah. You know, it is. And you could you can argue that the the trajectory of how employees are treated in the you know in, in by business, you know, is at, at best up and down and mixed. I mean, it's not like we're doing we're, we are better and better employers overall. The average company is a better and better employer. Um, you know, given 
given everything we know about the changes in the employment relationships. So it's so it's so interesting. And there is, you know, it's it, there's your 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 track record at Parnassus, and there is indeed more and more research evidence that just says this works. Um, Jerry, can you tell us? Uh, let's stick for at least a moment on the um, on the employee satisfaction and investing in companies that treat employees well. How do you, how do you how do you know as an investor? How does Parnassus determine this is you know these are large companies? How do you determine that they're treating employees well? What do you look for? You know, it's a good question, and of course you don't know at first because. So what we try to do is we research the company, which means we look at the relevant literature. It can be newspaper articles. It can be you know, articles in journals. Um, so that's you know, one way we do it. And in most cases, we try to visit the company. If we can't visit the company, we interview them on the phone, and that makes a big difference. And if possible, we try to talk to the employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we start out with a company, you have to go through their office, usually their, um, their uh, investor relations, mm-hmm. and you talk to them, you ask them questions. And a lot of you can just tell by the way they, they talk. So we'll say, well, are you a good place to work? Well, no company's going to say, no, no we're not right. a good place to work. You know, they, they'll, they'll say all of a sudden, they yes, but they'll say, well, give me examples. And if they talk about certain specific examples, that's more convincing than just a general statement. So if they'll say things like, well, we have profit sharing or we have uh, special leave, uh, you know, for new new mothers, or if we have, um, you know, these benefits that we have, um, this is really important. And so you get a sense of doing that. Then also you try to talk to employees and today, there are all these publications that are doing these surveys. And so, for example, the most famous one is Fortune magazine. They'll write the 100 best companies to work for in America. That's a very good one. Working Mother magazine does it, uh, a survey for the best companies for women for, um, that are mothers. And so today, there's all this literature that we read, learn about it, talking to the company, and of course, we've been doing this for 34 years, and so that reason you get a pretty good idea which of the good companies uh, to work for, and then that really is an important issue in terms of companies that we invest in. It's so interesting because you know, I, as I said, you're, you're singing my song, and it's just I just hearing this from you is just so striking. Um, because it's so discounted. This information is so discounted. And, um, you know, we've been doing some work writing about this. And, you know, one of my hobby horses is, you know, employee survey data tells you a hell of a lot. And these companies, you know, when you when you are surveying a, a cross-section of people and they tell you this is a good place to work for, they're t- you know, it's it's very credible, reliable information. And, you know, what you are, you are proof that this, that this does, um, you know, have an impact on the bottom line. So it's it's uh, it's fascinating uh, to hear. Do you um, one of the areas that uh, so I'm interested in how you're evaluating this, and partly one of the reasons I'm interested in this is because, you know, as there is growing interest in ESG investing, environmental and social governance performance of companies, and and integrating that information into investment decisions, we're also hearing concerns and criticisms that different rating systems don't cohere. You know, can we trust them? They're all telling us different ratings. The same company gets rated very differently uh, by uh, by different rating systems. 
it sounds like you're, you know, you're going more to the source, not relying on, but I don't know. Are you looking at sustainalytics? Are you looking at, uh, you know, MSCI? How do you, how do you consider these rating systems? Yes, we subscribe both to sustainalytics uh, and uh, MSCI. And um, interestingly enough, as you pointed out, sometimes they'll have very different ratings for the same company. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, do you, what do you do then? And so uh, Sustainalytics and um, MSCI and the others are a good starting place. We always look at what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And, but again, you can't go by that. Really, it's visiting the company, it's talking to management, it's talking to employees. That really gives you a feeling for the spirit of the company. So in the final analysis, that's very important. Or reading the literature, you know, newspaper articles or any other articles that we can get on the company, that's really what you, you, you need that, uh, that human touch, I think, to make a, a good decision. Interesting. And then you said the other uh, key criterion that you're looking at as you're evaluating companies is their intrinsic value, taking a value orientation and saying, you know, do we think this this company is undervalued in the the stock market? Um, that also sounds like kind of a no brainer. Um, that that uh, you know, investment professionals would be taking a hard look at this. Um, is that uh, is that a no brainer? You know, is that still innovative in the field? And if so, why? Well, the ratios we look at, we look at the price to earnings ratio, we look at the price to book ratio price-to-sales ratio. We look at a lot of these ratios, and of course we want those ratios to be low, which would indicate mm-hmm. selling below their in- intrinsic value. So that's really the first step that we do in looking at that uh, issue. Um, but when you look at that, it's hard to know what, um, what ratio to look at. And so we look at all of them, and so we so if a stock is selling at a very high price to earnings ratio it's probably not a candidate but we don't have any absolute ratio so for example mm. some stocks sell at a price earnings ratio uh, average let's say 11 over the years so if the price is below 11 that's fine other companies sell at a much higher ratio let's say a p ratio of, of 20 then you could say that a P ratio of 16 or 17 would be low. So you have to look at not absolute numbers, but the numbers compared to where the stock has been trading for over the years. So as a first screening, that's what we do. And there's a lot, you know, as I say, there's five or six ratios we look at. And then sometimes they won't be the same. It'll be low in one, and it'll be not as low in another. But we look at all of them, and then we, so it's a very inexact science, but it gives us a general idea. And from there, we try to calculate the intrinsic value of a company. And if it's selling substantially below, say, you know, 10, 20% or more below the value, then it's a candidate for investment. Got it. We're talking with uh, Jerry Dodson, the founder and chairman at Parnassus Investments. Jerry, we um, you know we do a lot of uh, we're, we're doing a lot within the Wharton Social Impact Initiative focused on impact investing. We talk about ESG investing uh, in, in public markets. I'm curious how you would describe 
you know, what Parnassus Investments is, you know, in this emerging uh, world of, of um, you know, sustainable investing, ESG investing, impact investing. How do you, you know, what's the term you use to describe Parnassus or the, you know, the terms you use to describe Parnassus? It changes over time. Mm, mm-hmm. When we started, you know, 34 years ago, it was called SRI, Sorry, yeah. right. socially responsible <laughs> investing. And then as time went on, say in the last maybe 15, 20 years, it switched to be called ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. It's essentially the same thing, but just a new vocabulary to describe um, how a company relates to its employees, how it relates to its community. So, it, and again, it's um, 34 years ago, we didn't have all the measurements. There wasn't the material available. There was no Sustainalytics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no MSCI. None of that was, uh, was available. And so that information is more available today. Also, I think companies are much better today than they have been in the past. And people are much more conscious um, as a society and as investors, we're also more conscious. More people are using these uh, social and well, we'll call it ESG criteria in their investing. So the world has really changed, and I think the companies have improved too. So I think that this, uh, the ESG investing has made a difference in how companies behave, uh, behave. Now, one interesting thing is today most companies actually publish information on ESG there's a special supplement or in their annual report, whereas 34 years ago, you rarely saw that. Right. And that's a good place to start. You look at that, uh, and of course they say, well, what do you do in terms of uh, hiring women or hiring minorities or the benefits you have for the employees? Very important. And so that is now disclosed, whereas, you know, several decades ago, you couldn't get that information. The only way you could get it was to go and interview the company and talk to them. But now uh, it puts them in a position where they've got to think about that. And when that, when those elements are measured, when these ESG elements are measured, it really makes it a better company. And so in terms of society, in terms of a company, it's much better today than it was 30 years ago. Um, I, th- I think you're, you've been uh, teaching a course, if I'm remembering correctly, at NYU. Is that right? Yes, that's a competitor of yours. Is it okay to talk about a competitor? Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> sure. We have we have no fear. <laughs> you're good. Yes. Well, you've got a very good reputation. You're a terrific <laughs> business school, and um, so yeah, I'm business cu- schools have come a long way on these things uh, today compared to when I when I was at uh, was at business school. So what do you, what's what do you call this, this? What do you call this course? And uh, let's talk. Well, let's start with what's the focus of the course, and then I got a few questions for you on this. Okay. Uh, it's called um, value and values investing. Mm. Ah, and nicely, to, nicely done. The values would be the ESG part, and value would be the part about we described in finding the intrinsic yeah. value, trying yeah. to below intrinsic mm. value. Nice title. Yeah. That, so that's really it's called investment management, value and values investment, and I did teach that at the Stern School in the fall there at NYU. Got it. So I'm curious about um, 
what surprised you about the students, um, you know, who took the course, the kinds of conversations you had? What struck out? What struck struck you uh, as you were doing this? Like, huh? I didn't know we'd go here. I didn't know this would be on students' minds. It was interesting that um, the, the they were interested in taking the, this course, and they tended to be very uh, unique and self-motivated because they were interested in the social aspects of the business as well as just the financial aspects. So we got really, um, you know, some good uh, good students in there, but they varied. There were some of them were very good, and they the, the assignment was to write an investment analysis of an individual company. Some of them were excellent, some of them were not good. Like anything, you know, you right. got some good students, yep. you got some not good students, but uh, we we got some really good material uh, in the companies that they that they wrote about. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And I, and how much, I mean, when you've described the screens, as I understand them, that, that's, that's uh, you know, there's been the kind of heart of Parnassus investments, it sounds to me that these are the companies you're looking for. You've emphasized that these are good companies in a variety of ways. They're good mm-hmm. to the people, they, they're good to the people who work there. Um, and they are, you know, they, they uh, present a, a value proposition for investors. Um, what about impact? What about impact in ways beyond the people who work in the, in the firm? You know, are you, how, what, what about environmental? What about other social, social issues? Would, if a company, you know, if it's private prisons, do you think, you know, they may treat their employees well, but we don't want, I don't, you know, that's not a business line I want to go into. Or are there particular sectors you wouldn't invest in these companies because of their broader impact? Yes, that's true. Uh, we have to make sure that we like the business that they're in. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't invest in, say, a, a cigarette company mm-hmm. or a casino uh, if, if it doesn't have a positive uh, impact on society, we really wouldn't invest in it. And um, sometimes it, it breaks down and says, well, you know, how do you make these decisions? And they're, they're subjective. There's no doubt about it that it, uh, it comes in. So it's really um, looking at it, making a sense. The private prisons, that's a good one, because you could say, well, you know, uh, on the one hand, um, it's better, you know, to, have humane treatment for these, um, uh, you know, for the the prisoners. On the other hand, should that really run by a private enterprise? So we have not invested in you know industries like that. But I think you can make an argument from both ways, and so that's what you come into: is that a good um, is that a good industry or not? But yeah. your point about picking the industry is, is is a good one. Yeah, and one of the things we've heard from um, some folks in the industry is that. They will go into a company, maybe not the private prisons, but maybe one that isn't really good on an ESG scale, so that they can um, influence the company. You know that they're they're working from the inside and trying to make it trying to make it better. We have some people who are doing that around uh, women on boards and mm-hmm. women in CEO suites kind of thing. So it's an interesting way to think about the role of the investor as an agent of change for companies. Yeah, I think that's uh, very important. The other thing I wanted to say before um, we end the interview is that we go out 
and we have interns every summer, and most of them business schools, and we uh, have had good success with Wharton. Oh, good. That that's one of the schools that we interview. <laughs> um, on the East Coast, the ones we, uh, we interview at my alma mater is Harvard. We interview at Wharton. And out here uh, on the West Coast, uh, at Berkeley and Stanford. And so we try to invest, um, you know, go to schools where the, the quality education is high, but also they have enough students that are interested in ESG. And we have several staff, a couple of staff members from Wharton, and we are a great source uh, for, for uh, students for us uh, in our intern well, program. So. Good. Well, there's no question there is, uh, there's tremendous interest, interest in, in this. And um, we have a few more minutes here. What's your take on, uh, you know, how do you think about impact investing, particularly impact investing in, in uh, you know, in private markets? Is this an area that you know about personally? Thoughts on, on the growth of impact investing? Now, how are you defining impact investing? <laughs> I'm hoping you will. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, typically the the uh, you know the the standard line is that this is investing with a goal of uh, making a financial returns and having a positive social and or environmental impact. Uh, a fair number of folks will say, "I want to be able to link this impact to uh, the sustainable development goals." So you know. Not yeah. every pharmaceutical qualifies. It's but if you're reaching people at the bottom of the pyramid, maybe you know maybe you do qualify. And as I said, uh, you know a lot of this is going on uh, most obviously in private markets. Yeah, um, if you're investing, like you say, in private markets in a company that is not publicly traded, mm-hmm. and you're bringing that uh, company to market so that. It can sell its product or its service, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, that I would call that impact investing. If you're talking about, we all, of course, are only it's only public markets for us. We only invest in companies that uh, are publicly traded, <clears throat> because every day we have to quote the value of our shares, and the only reason we can get the value of our shares is so we have to know the value of the companies that we invest in, and so that's traded on a stock exchange. So I, so now, so are you defining impact investing as only for the private market, not for the public, or are you including both in your definition? I would, I would include both in my. De- let me let's say yes. I would include both in my definition. I'm. Um, so let me just leave it there and see where you take the, that. Uh, where you're going with that? Yeah. No, I think that uh, impact investing is what we've been talking about. It's a form of ESG. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, companies that have a positive uh, impact or they're good for the environment, say if you can invest in a company that does recycling, that's certainly very good, given all the difficulties that we're having now with waste. Uh, right. So I would say that's yeah, an important part. So, yeah, I would say impact investing is really part and parcel of what we do as well as part of ESG. Got it. Um, and then uh, maybe a final question for you as we start to get to the end of our time here. I'm curious, um, given uh, you know, given how you invest, what lessons you've learned? You've grown your, you know, you've grown your Parnassus investments uh, since 1984. That's a long time. How have you thought about your own uh, internal culture in the company? Um, you know, how, how, are, how are you thinking about how you're attracting and retaining employees, your social mission, and so on? 
Well, that's a good question because we try to practice what we preach. We try to treat our employees uh, very well, and we found that uh, in doing that, uh, providing them a good workplace, interesting job, and paying them well is very important. We do have profit sharing uh, in our company. We have bonuses, which is important, and we have all you know a scale of benefits, and we try to have respect for each individual. And by doing that, we're getting top quality people, and they and they work hard, and they do a good job for us at Parnassus. So we found out that uh, it really does make uh, make a big difference. Finance is a is a, you know is a notoriously male dominated uh, industry, and I wonder what your track record is, and what your experience is, and your thinking is on 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 diversity, on you know, and getting gender diversity, on getting racial diversity within the firm, because as you know, as as you know, this has not been the record of you know the financial services as an industry. You know, uh, that's a good question because we struggle with that ourselves. We try to find women, and it's not that the women aren't just as capable as the men, but for some reason, uh, we don't have the number of women going into investment management. As you might think, they tend to go into in different areas. Mm. So uh, we do have on our staff. You know, we have uh, we have two women portfolio managers for and on our five funds. But it's been uh, trying to get the the, the uh, intern program. For some reason, women just don't seem to have the same interest in investment management, and it's growing. It's changing as time goes on. And I don't know. I don't know why that is. Um, but it, you have to work at it because if you just take you know, who comes in the door, then you're going to probably get mostly men. And um, But again, in our situation, we try to go out and look for it, and we found them. But uh, you have to work at it. Yeah, it's very interesting. And what do you, and uh, do you have a sense of your, as you reflect on your course at NYU, on uh, the distribution, the gender composition of your course? Now, that was half and half, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. It was 50 50 w- women. Um, but when you start uh, recruiting people, either for an internship program or for permanent jobs, uh, it's really more like 70 30, sometimes even 75 25. Wow. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, as a, as a researcher, as a management professor, I've seen some research on this, but I'm listening to you as making me think, like, we need more research on this. We really need to understand this and document what's happening to the pipeline. I wish you could tell me. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to know what you're yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we should. We should, you know, we, we, we should talk. I mean, one of my colleagues, Matthew Bidwell, has done some work on this, uh, looking at Wharton uh, uh, alumni, and I believe, and we may need to talk with Matthew. That I mean, part of this is what women expect in the industry and what they expect of firms, mm. so that they are, you know, disinclined to apply. Why would I want to go there? Um, so I, you know, right. I think that's that's part of the puzzle. Um, but you know, if if you are finding that. You know that if if this is difficult for Parnassus, you know, uh, which has a, you know a great reputation, right? And right. You know, it's in, right. It, it does say one needs to be one needs to lean in. <laughs> these firms, you know, these funds, these funds and firms need to lean in and be very intentional about it. You know, and there are real challenges. Um, so that's uh, you know that's that's uh, very inter- interesting. Uh, so maybe one final question, Jerry. What's as you sit as you reflect on your career? Where do you think this conversation is going? You know, if we're talking in 10 years, 
with you, with others in this industry about the the evolution of from, you know, arguably from SRI to ESG to impact investing. What do you expect it's going to look like? Uh, you know, what, how is finance, how is this kind of investing going to involve, evolve over the next 10 years? The real answer, of course, is I don't know. Of course. Because I've been surprised at how widespread it's become. Hmm. And um, that, you know, the people really are thinking about these, these issues. Um, unfortunately, some of it is just talk. In other words, they say they're doing this or they're ESG. But if you actually analyze what they do, it's pretty, pretty thin. thin. Yeah. Right. Some are pretty sincere about it. Some of them do it. But even though a lot of it is, say, um, eyewash, uh, the fact that they're thinking about these, it really does uh, affect you know, how businesses perform. So overall, it's been good, even though there's some players that probably are not as sincere. They're just doing it as a, as a marketing uh, technique to get you know, investors in. But I think that um, I'm, only, I'm somewhat cynical about some of the, the huge movement in this direction. But I'm also not cynical that there's a lot more of this going on sincerely, and it really is um, making it making an impact in terms of how the companies behave and how they treat people in, in workplaces are much better today than they were not too long ago. Yeah, and I think that increasingly this becomes part of the company's brand, and it's it's you know relevant for investors, but employees and consumers, et cetera. So it is. Um, becoming more of a factor, I think, in decisions. Right, and a, and a standard that we use to evaluate companies. Uh, we've been talking with Jerry Dodson, founder and chairman at Parnassus Investments. Jerry, wonderful to talk with you. Thank you for being with us. This is Katherine Klein on Dollars and Change. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.